From Maine Public Radio and mainepublic.org, I'm Robbie Feinberg with the news on this day in Maine, Monday, February 26th, 2024. This Day in Maine is made possible by listeners and by Eastern Basements, a division of Maine-owned Eastern Mold Remediation, offering crawl space repairs and waterproofing, easternbasements.com. The issue of Wabanaki sovereignty is back before the Maine legislature, one year after Governor Janet Mills vetoed a bill that would have overhauled state and tribal relations in Maine. But this year, the Mills administration and Wabanaki leaders say they're close to an agreement on several key changes long sought by tribal communities. Kevin Miller reports. For the past four years, the Wabanaki tribes have pushed hard on a series of bills aimed at regaining their right to self-government. But Mills has turned away those sweeping sovereignty bills every year and, instead, approved piecemeal changes to the laws governing state and tribal relations. And that reality was apparently top of mind for House Speaker Rachel Talbot Ross as she brought together the tribes, the attorney general's office, and the governor's office this winter to figure out the next step forward. The experience of the past four years has shown that restoring sovereignty and self-determination, self-governance back to the Wabanaki nations is a complex effort and likely one that will have to be implemented, unfortunately, through incremental actions. Talbot Ross introduced another broad-based sovereignty bill that picks up where last year's effort ran into the governor's veto pen. But Talbot Ross essentially asked the legislature's Judiciary Committee on Monday to set aside that version as the parties hash out an agreement on a more limited bill. The revised version would likely give Wabanaki courts more jurisdiction on criminal cases on tribal lands, while giving the Penobscot and Passamaquoddy tribes more flexibility to acquire additional lands. The parties are also negotiating over ways to make it clearer when and why the state believes federal laws should not apply to the Wabanaki tribes. I believe we are making good progress, and I am hopeful, I am truly hopeful, that we can get some of those issues once again with your help over the finish line this session. Those negotiations were endorsed Monday by leaders or representatives from all four Wabanaki tribes in Maine, the Passamaquoddy tribe, the Penobscot Nation, the Holton Band of Maliseet Indians, and the Mi'kmaq Nation. The reality is that um, the tribe does not want to see legislation brought forward that is only going to end in a veto. That's Michael Corey Hinton, an attorney and Passamaquoddy tribal member representing the Passamaquoddy leaders during Monday's public hearing. We seek sovereignty, we seek economic independence for our people and for our neighbors in Washington County and beyond. If that takes more time and more work with the governor's office in work session into the future, the Passamaquoddy tribe is prepared to continue that work. And Jerry Reed, the governor's chief legal advisor, credited Speaker Talbot Ross for bringing the parties together to identify common ground and work through the thorny issues. That process is ongoing, and I'm very optimistic that we will be in a position at the work session to bring forward an amendment that uh, reflects that process and, and bears fruit. Wabanaki leaders have said they've felt a groundswell of support among Maine residents for overhauling the 1980 legal agreement known as the Maine Indian Claims Settlement Act. They contend that agreement harms their communities by preventing them from taking advantage of federal laws that apply to more than 500 other tribes nationwide. 
Although she blocked the sweeping sovereignty bills, Mills has signed laws strengthening the environmental standards on tribal sustenance fishing waters and expanding tribal courts' jurisdiction. And just last year, Mills signed a bill that has given the four Wabanaki tribes exclusive access to offering online sports gambling in Maine. But Penobscot Chief Kirk Francis says he believes time and most Maine residents are on the tribe's side as they continue the broader push for greater self-governance. I know that this has been a long fight with only incremental progress being made in recent years, but we must remember that our people have inhabited these lands for thousands of years and we are not going anywhere. Any compromise bill could still face opposition from some interest groups or lawmakers. But with an endorsement from Governor Mills and Maine Attorney General Aaron Fry, a compromise seems unlikely to face stiff opposition in a legislature that has endorsed much more sweeping sovereignty bills in years past. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Kevin Miller. State officials have unveiled a new design to replace Maine's Chickadee license plate next year. The new pine tree design includes elements of Maine's original 1901 state flag, with a blue star in the upper left-hand corner and a pine tree on the left side. An alternate plate can be chosen with a blue and green color palette, but without the star and pine tree. The designs were approved in a law passed by the legislature last year. State police voiced their support for the change, saying that some current plates are more than two decades old and degraded and difficult to read. The Secretary of State's office will begin issuing the new plates in May of 2025. Members of Maine's Ukrainian community joined together in Lewiston on Sunday to mark the two-year anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. The event was billed as a solidarity event and fundraiser for humanitarian efforts. Andrei Opolnik, who moved to Maine from Ukraine eight years ago, says he's concerned that some American politicians are furthering the goals of Russian President Vladimir Putin by blocking military aid. I think people need to understand if someone say we should give up or we shouldn't help, that's uh, putting words in their mouth. Congressional Republicans recently tanked a bill that would have provided additional military funding to Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan. Nearly 70 corrections officers graduated from the Maine Criminal Justice Academy on Friday. It's the largest class in the academy's history and also one of the most diverse, with men and women ranging in age from 18 to their mid-50s. All of the graduates are headed to state and county correctional facilities. York County Sheriff William King says of the 14 recruits coming to work in his jail, five are new Mainers. Most of them are from Angola. English is their second language. They're stepping up, they're learning English, they're completing the academy, and we're trying to overcome those cultural differences that many people have. King says it's always been a struggle to recruit corrections officers, but he says recent advertising efforts and better pay and bonuses have contributed to the increase in numbers. Island communities in Maine will have a chance to weigh in on proposed fare increases of 18% for the Maine State Ferry Service. Carol Bousquet reports. The State Department of Transportation says operating costs have increased by about 18 percent in the last five years, and fares need to go up to help cover those costs. John Emerson is chair of the Main State Ferry Service Advisory Board. One of the realities of having an aging fleet is that the repair costs are quite high, and the fuel costs have been quite high, and payroll is. Uh, and those are the three major factors that go into operating costs. That's the portion of the ferry expenses that the uh, customers are directly responsible for. 
the proposed rate increases would be higher during peak season than in the off-season. That would require summer tourist traffic to pick up a greater share of the increase. The DOT says it will finalize fair prices after the public weighs in. A public hearing will be held March 12th at the Samoset Resort in Rockport. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Carol Bousquet. Organizers say the Can-Am Crown sled dog races in Fort Kent have been canceled this weekend because of upcoming rain and warm temperatures in northern Maine. It's the first time in the event's history that there's been a full cancellation of the races and the only time the issue was a lack of snow. Dennis Sear, president of the organization, says although there's snow on the trails, there is no coverage on roads the race course crosses over. And the board was concerned about the remaining snow melting this week. Looks like it's going to be rain and uh, above average or record-breaking temperatures. So what little snow cover we have right now, we're probably going to lose. Sears says because many competitors may travel for days from across the country in Canada, the board couldn't wait any longer to make a decision. And the town of Kittery has approved a plan to raise an underutilized outlet shopping center for a new hotel, restaurant, and housing near the Kittery Trading Post on Route 1. The plans call for a 119-room hotel and about 100 new apartments, including 11 that are considered affordable. Kittery Planning Board Chairman Dutch Dunkelberger says the town has been exploring the possibility of redeveloping underutilized retail space for several years. And what do you do with all that space? We started noticing some vacancies and thought about how can we make use of that. So uh, we have in the past approached the various owners about the potential for developing it into a mixed-use space. The project will be built in three phases, starting with the hotel. The existing retail space would be demolished to make room for the construction of the apartment building during phase two. Dunkelberger says he's hopeful that the three stores that currently remain at the shopping center will consider moving to other available retail space on Route 1. February is Black History Month, celebrating African-American identity and culture. But for some African immigrants, the connection to Black identity in the United States can be complicated. Ari Snyder spoke with three young people from African immigrant families who grew up in very different circumstances, but who are all grappling with similar questions about belonging. As the U.S.-born child of Congolese and Burundian immigrants, Ferdowsa Kizimana says she relished her connection with multiple countries and cultures. But when she got to high school in Portland, that confused some of her peers. They were just like, what are you? Hakizimana says she was able to make friends through shared interests, but never felt like she fit into a single national or ethnic identity. It was just like offset by the fact that I was Muslim and then at the same time of two different ethnic groups. So they were just like, where do you fit in all of that? Hakizimana is not alone in her struggles to square African immigrant identity with racial categories in the U.S. It's been top of mind in recent years for 24-year-old Shukri Abdirahman, whose family came to Lewiston from Kenya when she was 10. Abdirahman says she grew up with a strong sense of Somali Bantu identity and saw her experiences as being intertwined with the struggles of black Americans. Even though I'm an immigrant, I might wear a headscarf and there's some things that are different about me. I knew that, like, I could also face the same racism as they faced, and I did face the same racism that they faced. After the murder of George Floyd in 2020, Abdirahman felt called to action 
and joined an effort to organize a Black Lives Matter protest. But Abdirahman says her activism prompted some difficult conversations with her mother. She was like, at the end of the day, you know, you're a Somali Bantu, you're not African-American, so remember that. Abdirahman was not dissuaded, and the rally drew hundreds of people. And despite the fact that she and her mother may hold different views on race and identity, Abdirahman says it's been a learning opportunity for both of them. She takes the time to realize that, like, her experiences are different from our experiences because we're growing up here, and we take the time to also hear her out and ask her about, you know, when she was young and how her life was in Somalia and in Kenya. For some more recent arrivals, including 26-year-old Anna Candido, American racial categories often don't feel accurate. Candido came to Maine from Namibia in 2022 with her family. She remembers the first time she filled out official paperwork in the U.S. and encountered the term Black American, which she felt didn't fully represent her. I am Black, yes, but I'm not Black American. I'm, I'm Black African. And Candido says making that distinction respects the fact that Black American history is not one that she claims as her own. Because I come from a country where um, I was Black and I lived there freely. So when I came here, I understood that the Black people here have a different type of um, pain and suffering that they carry. Candido says racial categories in the U.S. can actually obscure more information than they reveal. Explaining her identity to someone in Namibia, she says, requires a lot more context. My parents are Angolan and my mom is, 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 is mixed with Congolese and she, she speaks Chiluba and my dad speaks um, Kimbundu. He grew up in the city of Mexico. Like, there's so much root and depth in, in one person. Candido says she worries that if she has kids who grow up in the U.S., they won't have that same connection to the places and cultures of their ancestors. But Ferdows Hakizimana says she's found a way to balance her American upbringing with her parents' immigrant identities. I kind of break down the, the name African-American into African and American, so that is me. And rather than worry about how her identity fits into specific racial categories, Hakizimana chooses to stitch together the African elements, a love of her mother's Congolese cooking, for example, and a fashion sense that tends toward the bright and colorful, with what she sees as a uniquely American embrace of multiculturalism. I get to take what I want. I get to not take what I don't want, and I can be the best version of all of them. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Ari Snyder. And that's today's Maine news. For more stories, visit mainepublic.org. And coming up on Maine Calling at 11 o'clock on Tuesday morning, with Maine's presidential primaries coming up, we'll talk about election issues from the national popular vote to what's happening in the presidential race. I'm Robbie Feinberg. Thanks for listening.